You know, I don't know what you'll think about this. Some of y'all totally get this. Some of you will be like, eh, he's flaky. Monday, I'm driving across the Bayway. Pam and I live over in Daphne. Monday, I'm driving across the Bayway. And I'm not scheduled to preach at Luke 418 anytime. So, well, the Sunday night coming up, I think I'm going to do a little something. But I'm driving across the Bayway. And I pray typically all across the Bayway. It's, it's a wonderful thing every morning. And I sense the Lord say to me, get ready to preach the message on the Bema seat, or Bema seat. Which is a hard message to preach, by the way. And over when I was interim pastor at First Baptist Silver Hill, I waited a year, a whole year, until I ran out of time when the interim was coming to an end to preach it because it's that difficult to preach. And I'm like, and I said this, I'm like, Lord, I'm not even scheduled to preach at Luke 418 anytime. And I sensed, just be ready. Well, now here I am up here today. Come preach a very difficult message, not in that the, the, the material's difficult. I mean, the, you know, it's, it's that hard nose of a message, but certainly it's a, it's a difficult passage to preach about from a, from a minister's standpoint. And, um, and so, I, in fact, I had not said that to Brother Fred at all this morning. I texted him. Brother Fred does text, by the way. Isn't that incredible? It's never incomplete sentences. David, David and I get a good laugh off of that. But um, uh, to encourage him, just that, uh, hey, you know what? No worries. I felt like I, I literally had not said that to anyone. And this happened on Monday. And so the Lord knew and he needed to rest. And, and, uh, and so and we need him for the long term, not just the short term, for him to show up and press himself when, there's not, when that's not necessary. So, um, but y'all be in prayer for him, of course. Yesterday morning, I was at Honor Flight. They're taking an Honor Flight on Wednesday. You know, that's where they take the veterans to D.C. And so my brother is going, taking two veterans. And he couldn't go yesterday for the training at Fort Whiting, so he asked me to go, and they gave permission to do that. So yesterday morning, I spent being trained up to go on a flight that I'm not even on. And, um, and met the two veterans and that sort of thing. And they stood up, and the, the gentleman that was speaking uh, gave great information, but it was quite long, but it was very good. And he, the, uh, the guy who was coordinating everything, after it was over with, he said, hey, I just had a, one of the 90-year-old vet come up to me and tell me something. I said, what did he tell you? He said, he told me, he said, you, pre- you speak longer than a Baptist preacher. <laughs> well, I guess when you're a vet and you're 90, you can get away and say that to somebody, right? So I'm going to try to not preach as long as a Baptist preacher, uh, though I am one. But anyway, flip your Bible, open your Bibles. It's going to be about four, maybe even five primary verses that we're going to look at. The first is Matthew 16, 27. Then we're going to go over to Revelation 22. We might look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And then the main verse that we're looking at is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, y'all have all that memorized, right? But first, Matthew 16, 27. 
You know, in life, everything worth doing or that has value takes time. You ever thought about this? I know you have. Think about it. You want to get an education, you want a diploma, you have to go to school for a long time. You have to study. You have to show up. You have to do the right things in order to achieve a diploma. Athletic contest. These guys go out and they train and train and train and train and train. Twelve months a year now. Nonstop. Weight room, running, exercise, all kinds of things. They have to do all of these different things to play at a certain level. What for? In order to go out on Saturday afternoons and play football and hopefully to win the championship. It takes years of training to achieve that. Investments. You have to take money, which is a bad subject, but you take money, you place it someplace in hopes that it's going to grow in by 10% or whatever, double over a certain number of years. A relationship. Even though the level of a friendship starts and then it grows and you have to do things to nurture the friendship. A marriage, you have to do things to nurture the marriage, right? You don't just come up and say, hey, we're getting married. No, it takes time to get to the altar of marriage. It takes time to continue that. And the point I'm making is this. Everything that has value takes a process to achieve. It takes time to get there. It takes a sense of effort of some sort to do it. So what I'm looking at today, or what we're going to look at in these scriptures, is what I call, and the scripture calls in 1 Corinthians 3, the day, as opposed to today. What we're talking about this morning is, what are we doing to prepare ourselves for the day, as opposed to preparing ourselves for today? How do we prepare ourselves for that day as opposed to this day. The point I'm trying to make is this. In Scripture, Jesus tells us very, very clearly about coming, about us standing before him on what they call the day. And that's what I want us to look at today is what does that look like? Now, this is, gets, gets a little theological. It's a little deep, but I think we can do it. Y'all think we can? Right? I believe we can. Look at this, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. If you'll hang with me, I promise you, at the end of this, it will be the aha moment, and it will make total, total sense to you. Matthew 16, 27. Jesus says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to what? His works. Interesting. Now, flip over to Revelation 22. And you can leave Matthew. We've just left that. Last book of the Bible, Revelation. 22, verse 12. Jesus speaking again, he says. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his what? Work. Interesting. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
verse 11. I don't know why I'm in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is the foundation. You know, last time I preached a few weeks ago, I talked about where Jesus says, you can build your house, your home, your life on the rock, or you can build it on sinking sand. If you build on the rock, when the winds come and the waves rage, it will stand. If you build on sand, no matter what you've built by your own hands, it will go away. Well, now Jesus is saying, listen, here's the foundation of Christ, which we can't, no one else can build anything else on. It's laid in Christ. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's, there it is again, work will become clear for the day. Notice that's capitalized probably in your text. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So here's what, here's what Paul says teaching here. When you became a Christian, you decided to build upon a rock, the foundation of Christ. And even as a Christian, we can build our our life with what Paul calls hay and straw and things that's going to burn away, things that's not going to last, things that has very little value. And you can either build your life on that or build it or on something that's not really significant, or you can continue to let Christ build your life, which we'll look at in a moment. The bottom line is, he says, when we come to the day, and we get purged through, and everything's processed through, and then we give an account, and everything that we've done, good or bad, goes before the Lord, in the sense of what good works we've done, or works that we didn't do, and all of that gets burned away, the bad things, what is it that's left? that you can offer to God. Now, what does that mean, the day? Interestingly enough, and look, well, flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is the primary place we're going to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, on the day when Christians stand before the Lord, He will look at your works. Well, wait a minute now, Joe. I I thought we were saved by faith. Absolutely you're saved by faith. We see that countless places. That we place our trust in Jesus. We we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God raised us from the dead. Then we will be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever, what, believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Clearly, Fundamentally, we are saved by by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about 
what the Bible calls the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at here in this particular scripture. It's where we stand before God, and when we stand before Jesus himself, you can't do anything else. It's the day. It's over. Game's over. Life's over. You can't say, well, you know what, Jesus, let me do one more thing before I show up. Let me see if I can get something in order before I go and do one more person that I do something for before I stand for you. You see, what we clearly see is, is that by faith we're saved, but that Jesus rewards our works. We just saw it in the Scripture. Now, unfortunately, oftentimes, as Baptists, who so much believes in Christ and preaches salvation, which is what we need to do, oftentimes we don't want to confuse the issue and even talk about works because we say, no, no, we can't talk about works. Well, Jesus just talked about works. You just looked at the Scriptures. And Jesus will judge us by our works. Let me prove it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Well, that's a, that's a sermon in itself, verse 11. We make it our aim. This is, what we, this is what we try to do. We focus in. We aim at. We look at the target. We see the goal. We know where we're going. We know what we're striving for. All in verse 9. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For He must, or we must, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has, what? Done. Whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to you in your consciousness. Now, let's go back to that verse 10. Anytime, and y'all know this, anytime you study the Bible, you need to take it within the context of who it's written to. The book of 2 Corinthians was written or inspired to Paul from God. This letter to the church in Corinth. It's written to Christians. So what Paul is saying is this in verse 10. For we must all appear. He's speaking to Christians here. He's saying, all of you Christians in Corinth, all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the Greek word for that is bema, or bema. It's B-E-M-A. It says that we must all appear before the bema seat of Christ. Not the German sports car. Right? Bema. Bema. The Bema seat of Christ. Now, when we get there, what's it say will happen? Each one, that's individually, may receive the things done in the body. That's here. Because remember, when you die, your spirit goes, your body stays. So he's talking about what you do here on earth, right now today. The body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
So on the day when we stand before Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, he will look and he'll reward according to what good you've done or bad you've done. And remember, I'm talking about Christians here. Non-Christians is a whole different story. If you're here today and you don't have Christ in your life, then right now, today, until you make a decision for Christ, you stand before a different type of judgment. And we'll take a look at that. Keep your finger at 2 Corinthians because we'll come back to it probably. But flip over to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. You all hanging with me? Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, we see a different judgment. Those who are Christians are saved. They have faith in Christ because of the blood of Jesus. They receive Christ, become followers of Christ. God saves them. We'll come back to that in a moment. They go before, we all go before the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ for Jesus to judge us based on what we've done, good or bad, and he rewards us according to that for eternity. Now, look at chapter 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. What that means is, he said, I saw common people and kings. I saw poor people and rich. I saw people that no one knew, and they lived a life of obscurity, and those who people knew greatly by their name in the history books reads about, writes about. He says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea, this is fascinating, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. That's people that's lost their lives in shipwrecks or drowned out in the ocean or whatever the case may be. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works." Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now some people say, well, you shouldn't preach about hell or the lake of fire or, you know, all of that. That's for yesterday. We've progressed. I heard that the other day. We've progressed where? There's no such thing as heaven on earth. I think I see sometimes life, lives where it seems like hell on earth, but it's still not. And we understand 
this simple truth. According to the Word of God, when we die or when Jesus comes, He will be the judge and He will open a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's His Book of Life. And He'll go through and He'll look at the names. And those whose names are in the Lamb's Book of Life because they followed Him and they committed their life to Him while living on this earth will go to the judgment seat of Christ, which we'll come back to in a moment, the Bama seat. But make no mistake about it. Those whose names are not in the Lamb's Book of Life, what's the Scripture say? It's cast into the lake of fire. You see, every person has an everlasting life. Every person lives beyond Radney's funeral home, Mobile Memorial Gardens. Every person will stand before a living God, Jesus Christ, who will be the judge at that point in time. I'm not the judge. Fred Wolf's not the judge. The Pope's not the judge, right? No one is the judge except for Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus is the one who died on the cross for all of us. And only Jesus is the creator God. And we're the created ones. Therefore, the creation worships the creator. And I'm not the creator. And you're not the creator. The Pope's not the creator. No one else is the creator except for God. And with that, he says, I will open the book and those who are followers of me have an eternal home. Those who do not go to the lake of fire. Now, I know that's not popular, I know that's uncomfortable, and I know that people don't like to hear that. But listen, if it's in the book, we got to know it. Just because the world says there's no such thing as hell, doesn't mean that there's no such thing as hell. The world said it was flat for a long time, while the Word of God was saying it was round. What we're saying this morning is this. I agree with Billy Graham. Billy Graham said this, uh, about two years ago, he said, if I have my life to live over again, I would preach much more about hell. But we're getting progressively and rapidly more and more away from even saying the word hell or the lake of fire. Because we don't want to be called, oh, he's, he's a hater or he's a Bible thumper or all that stuff. All I know is this you're in this place and you don't know Jesus Christ and you've not made that decision to follow him by faith you're going to take your risk that the book's not right I was on the streets of Raleigh having this conversation with a man and he said no such thing as hell I'm like okay why do you think because God would not send anyone to hell. He believed in God. And I'm like, why would God not send anyone to hell? Because God's full of love. Okay. I said, so will you go to heaven? Absolutely. What do you do with... I said, why? He goes, because I've done good things. I said, well, what do you make of people who've done bad things? He said, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know, Adolf Hitler. He's a bad guy. I'm like, 
he is a bad guy, real bad guy, or was a bad guy. So what do you do with him? Where is he? Guy sat there for a moment. He goes, well, I don't know. I said, well, you just said everybody goes to heaven. I said, so Adolf Hitler deserves God's grace just like you do? Yes, he does. I'm like, but does Adolf Hitler deserve eternal life? You You want Hitler in heaven with you? See where I'm going with this? Why, where is any just in the simplicity that when God says, those who follow me go to heaven. Those who choose not to follow me go to the lake of fire. How hard is that? Why should those who choose to reject God now expect to go spend eternity with him tomorrow? See where I'm going? That's why we live for the day, not today. We live for that day, not this day. And all I can say and hope for in this place is if someone here doesn't have a relationship with Christ, what are you waiting on? God loves you greatly. And God longs for you to come to Him. And the alternative, according to His Word, It's certainly not a place you want to fool around with and take a gamble with. Because you say it doesn't exist. You know, in America, only like 42 or 43% of people in America think that there is a such thing as hell. Well, no wonder we act like we, we, we live life like hell. We don't believe in it. Now... One more thing in that regard. We have to remember, all of us, when we face the judgment seat of God or the great white throne, and our name is not there, you cannot talk your way in. You can't buy your way in. You can't jockey from who you know to get in. You can't do it. It's too late. You know, here on earth, you can talk your way almost into any place. I've gotten to do some fascinating things because I just talked my way in. Or I knew someone who bought my way in. I was in Cleveland, Ohio, living there four years ago when the election was going on and Obama was up and Hillary Clinton and uh, I don't remember, all the Democrats were ch- trying to become the candidate. Remember that? Well, Northeast Ohio is the hotbed. I mean, obviously, the place where well, Hillary Clinton was coming through. Those guys, all of them came through literally every week. Another candidate was in town. And they came over and over again. Well, I was living downtown Cleveland, and I heard Hillary Clinton was coming. And I'm not a Hillary Clinton fan. I mean, quite honestly, I didn't care about going to see her. But I heard she was coming to be at a downstairs uh, or underneath a restaurant downstairs in this little theater thing. And it was right around the corner from where I was living. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to walk over there tonight and see if I can just see who's over there. So I was bored, it was cold, all that in Cleveland. So I had on a black trench coat that went down below my legs. 
And I had been to this restaurant and had went to some events down in the basement of this place. So I knew as soon as you walked in, you take steps down that goes down to it. Most people think they have to go all the way deep into the restaurant and take the back steps. So as I go in in this black trench coat you know, in a toboggan on my head, I walk in, I take a right, I go straight down the stairs, I go right in. I'm like, you know what, there's the bathrooms right there. I'm going to go straight to the bathrooms and then walk in. So I go straight to the restroom and when I get in there, there's a larger Democrat, big name Democrat for that community standing there and we're in the bathroom together and he goes boy this is great tonight isn't it so he and I carry on the conversation and I walk right in with him into the party I get in there's about 40 people there waiting on Hillary Clinton to show up and next thing I know I find out it's Chelsea Clinton's birthday and I text my brother, and I was like, I'm at Chelsea Clinton's private birthday party. <laughs> he t- texts me, and goes, you got to be kidding. Well, first of all, I said, guess where I am? He said, I bet you're at that Hillary Clinton party. I said, I'm not just at the party, I'm at Chelsea's private birthday party. I didn't even know what I was walking into. And I had on a black trench coat and a toboggan on my head. And then here comes Chelsea in. Hillary never showed up. And here comes Chelsea in, and she was all excited. Mom's going to do great and all this kind of thing. And next thing I know, one of them goes, Chelsea, we, want, we love you. We want to sing happy birthday. And they start singing happy birthday to Chelsea Clinton at her private party. And I text my brother and said, you ain't going to believe I'm singing happy birthday to Chelsea right now. <laughs> when it's over with, I turned around, and they was like, Chelsea, you take some pictures with us? And she goes, oh, yeah. And I go up. And uh, to walk up to take, and I promise y'all, I'm not making this up. I was not married at the time, right? I walk up, and Chelsea did a double take when I came walking up. And I said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I had my picture with Chelsea, you know. So if I come out and it shows I'm a big Democrat in Ohio, I promise you, I just snuck my way in. Well, then we got done, and they were taking a bus somewhere. And like, you want to go? And I'm like, no, I think I'll stay behind. Y'all have a good time. I say that to make a funny story, to share a funny story of you can talk your way into anything. If you're smart enough, or you know the right per- people, or you know how to navigate something, you can get into almost any place to see anybody. Unless you're the president of Israel trying to see our president. I'll let y'all read between the lines on that. But here's the deal. When this day comes, and the one who sacrificed himself for you, nobody's smart enough how to get into the book at that point. No one can buy their way in at that point. No one can turn around and navigate their way and say, I've been here before, because no one has ever been there before. It happens all at the same time. Now let's go back to most of us here who are believers. Flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians five. For we must all appear, that's all the Christians, 
before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there's a little bit of a problem we have in our translation with the word judgment. This is for Christians. We're saved. We stand before Jesus. It's called the judgment seat. The problem is the Greek word is, like I said, bema, B-E-M-A. We translate it as judgment. In our American mentality in 2012, judgment's a bad thing. It's a negative word, right? But what Paul was writing here, when he, the Bama seat is not a negative word. Bama's not negative. Judgment is negative in today's society. What Paul puts in here, this word Bama, let me tell you about it. Bama was the name of the place where the judges sat who gave out trophies or crowns for those who ran and won in athletic contests. You know, Paul refers to athletics all the time, about running and running the race and so forth. And so, during this era, they would have these races. And those who ran the race weren't disqualified, and they, they, they run and they win, there were steps that would go up to this person or persons, usually one, who sat at the top that was the judge of the contest. And that person, once they won the race, they would go up the steps, and they would come before the judge, and the judge would look and look at the race, make sure they qualified, that they ran it correctly, and that they're the winner, and then he would take a crown and would place a crown on the person who had won the race. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You see where I'm going with this? The actual word is bema, an athletic judge. That's the term that Paul uses. So what he's saying is, now read it and see if you understand it a little better. For we must all appear before the Bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, the beautiful thing is this. If you make it to the Bema seat, you've already won the race. You've made it to heaven. Your name has been found in the book of life. You've not gone or, or had to go as a result of the great white throne judgment, which is cast into the lake of fire, those individuals. Instead, you've won the race. Now you say, well, I thought he judges my sin. Listen to me. I want us to look at, the, well, first, don't even listen to me. Let's listen to God. First, these words. Look at Romans 8, 1 with me. Now this is going to take just a second. Well, I, I could just read it to you, but I want you to see it, especially if you're taking notes. Romans 8, 1. Now, this is, this is freedom for some people here today. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says, listen, you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. Now, flip over to John 
Here's Jesus speaking. John 5, 24, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. There it is again. Saved by faith in Christ, not by works. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Y'all, we got to understand this. The reason you don't, you're not condemned or the reason you don't pass into judgment over your sin here is because Jesus Christ has paid for the sin and you can't pay for something twice. So when you turn around and you place all this guilt on yourself over sins of 20 years ago, and you say, I ask for God's forgiveness every day. I, I promise you, I hear this all the time, especially amongst some of our senior adults here. I wish I, I, I messed up. I, that sin, God's giving me a hard time now because I'm still paying for my sins 20 years ago. And I'm like, what did, you know, have you confessed your sin before the Lord? I have. I'm like, well, God's saying your sin is cast into the bottom, the depths of the sea, and he doesn't remember it anymore. So if he doesn't remember it, why are you keep bringing it up to him? Does that make sense? Listen, when you have Christ in your life, Jesus paid it all so that you don't have to pay anything. There's no condemnation at that point. Don't condemn yourself when God's not condemning you. And he's the judge. Don't condemn someone else when God's not condemning them. He's the judge. We're not. You're free in Christ. You say, well, what do I do? He's not judging me for my sins. Jesus paid for your sins. Well, what do I do with my sins? Why do I ask for forgiveness for my sins and so forth? Listen to me. Now, hear this real clear. Y'all can call Brother Frank, give him a heart attack, and say the savage was preaching wrong doctrine today. Hear this clear, you're going to get confused. So why it's hard to preach. You don't have to pay for your sins because he already paid for those sins. Now there's consequence to sin, right? You go do something that shouldn't happen, you've got consequences you've got to live with here. But you, why live in bondage when God has set you free. Why keep bringing up old sins when God's word says he don't even know what you're talking about? Why condemn others when God's not condemning others? You see, you say, well, what do I do then with my sin? What's it say? You ask sin, take it before the Lord, confess your sins to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. You say, well, wait a minute now, I'm, I'm confused on it. Listen to me. Sin as a Christian, or let me rephrase that, unconfessed sin as a Christian doesn't separate you from God for eternity. He's already bought you with the price. Sin as a Christian knocked you out of fellowship with Christ. In other words, you don't live with confidence. You can't pray with confidence. 
You don't have internal joy. You don't have peace. You see, all of us, if we're honest, and I've been here, where we have sin in our life, and we know we have sin in our life, and we know that we have salvation, we've placed our faith in Christ, and we know that we've been bought with a price, but then we turn around and we have sin, and what happens? Joy is gone. There's no peace inside. You kneel down to pray and you don't have confidence in your prayers. Why? Because you're out of fellowship with God. What I mean is you're out of step with God. God's not going to keep pouring joy into your heart when you're living in sin. Does that make sense? He's the giver of joy. He's the giver, provider of peace. He's not going to give that to you if you're living in sin. Don't judge yourself or place heavy burdens on yourself that Jesus himself has already paid for. What we must do is when we have sin in our life, we must recognize that God still loves us His grace is still sufficient. But inside, we're messed up. Isn't that true? Deep inside, you know you're not right with God and life's out of sync. Now, these crowns, it says... That we all appear, and he, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In Scripture, theologians and Bible scholars and teachers and so forth identify, and you can do it too, five crowns that Jesus gives out at the Bema Seat. I tend to think there's four But it could be five. I understand if there's a fifth. Five crowns. I'm going to give them to you in two to three minutes. You ready for this? And I can get you the notes if you want them. He gives five crowns. What's it say? He gives these crowns according to what he has done, the person has done, whether good or bad. Here's the five crowns. You stand before him. Crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Philippians 4.1. This is a crown of those who are, it's called the soul winner's crown. It's for those who have shared faith, have witnessed, that's what they do. And Christ gives them the crown of rejoicing. Why? Because every time someone comes to know Christ, heavens rejoice. The angels rejoice. So he in turn gives a crown to those who created or is a part of this rejoicing in heaven. Number two, the crown of life, James 1.12, Revelation 2.10. That's for those who have endured temptations. It's also called the martyr's crown. Someone who has given their life for Christ or paid some kind of great price for Christ, that's the crown of life. Third crown, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8. This is the crown of righteousness. It's for those who long for his appearing. They long for his coming. They live a life of faith knowing that Jesus will return one day and they want to live their life for Christ daily, that is the crown of righteousness. Number four, the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 4. 
The crown of glory is given to those who have faithfully served as pastors or missionaries or, or uh, 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 ministry leaders or what have you, and those who have just served the Lord faithful and fulfilled the calling that God placed in their life. They get the crown of glory there at the judgment seat of Christ. And then the fifth is the crown of enduring, which is those who in, have endured life, they've stayed disciplined, they've walked in faith, and so forth. That would be the five crowns that Jesus gives at the crown at the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat of Christ. Now, here's the deal. You get your crown based on what you have done. You get your salvation based on grace by faith. I hope this makes real, this a lot of sense. However, let me add, Jesus gives you crowns. Look at this picture of grace in love and mercy. Jesus gives you your crowns. Crown or crowns. Only because he has already worn the crown of crowns. And he wore the crown of thorns on the cross. Only... His pain and enduring of a crown of thorns is what enables you to stand before Jesus and receive the crown of rejoicing or life or righteousness or glory or enduring. Isn't that incredible? But make no mistake about it. He rewards you based on, and we've seen several scriptures this morning, He rewards you based on what you did and what you didn't do. The good things and the bad things. He crowns you based on your works. So the simple question is this. There's no condemnation in Christ now. The question is, when your name is called, and this can be developed into a four or five part sermon, right? But when your name is called and you stand and you walk before Jesus to the Bama seat and you stand there and he has his crowns and he's getting ready to give you your crown, what will he crown you for? You see, that's why we must understand and not just be lazy and say, Hey, you know what? I, I know I'm saved, Brother Ed, but I'm just going to sit here and enjoy my salvation the rest of my life and do nothing else. You see, the truth is, when you do nothing else, it only hurts yourself. Instead, if we will stand up and see our calling and see our passion and see where God has placed us, and serve and love those around us, and share our faith with those that God's placed around us, and get our knees dirty from praying, and our hands dirty from serving, and love people, and yes, absolutely work for God every day. What's the scripture say? Even in your manual work, your job, it says, don't work for the person you work for, you work for Him. 
So every day when you go to work, you need to keep your eyes focused on Him, as Brother Ed even said about worship. It's not just in song. It's in your life. It's when you show up tomorrow and you're having to staple a hundred sheets of paper together. Or when you're trying to sell a car and nobody's coming by to buy it. Or you're trying to sell a house and nobody wants your house and you're the realtor and you haven't sold anything in six months. Or you got the bank or you're the stay-at-home mom or you're the teacher or you're at the Walmart working as a cashier. Whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord because your day is coming to live for the day, not today, and that day, not this day. Now, you say, well, Joe, I tell you what, I, I hadn't really done much. I'll, I'll look at somebody like, let's pick one out. S.L. Williams, Williams said, I, I, I hadn't done nothing like S.L. Ed Keys, I mean, he stands up there and he sings, and he sings, wonder, what a wonderful man to God he is. I'm nothing like him. God doesn't want you to be him. It'd make for a wonderful world, but that's not the truth. And any number of people that I'm looking into your face right now, we could say, you know what, man, I, I don't do nothing like him. Look at those guys, they go out to, to, to Home of Grace and they serve out there. They, look at those guys, they go down and they feed these people, they do all this stuff. I'm nothing like that. One, don't compare yourself to them. Number two, most importantly, what's God wanting you to do? Because at the judgment seat, he's going to crown you based on what you've done or not done. And I want to see you get crowned up. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great? We're all standing there and we all see each other and Jesus is standing and we're going one at a time and he's calling out the names. Gary Greeno! And here comes Mr. Greeno, walks up, and we're standing there like, now check this out, what's going to happen with him? And then the next person, and the next person, and the next person, right? Dan Barber! Here comes Dan up. And we're watching, and Jesus looks, and he reaches out, and he puts a crown on Dan's head, and we go crazy in celebration. Then how about when we stand and I have to look at my own life? He calls my name and I walk up and I have to look and say, what did I do? He looks at the bad and the good. It's not a matter of the good outweighing the bad, which some people think. That's never found in Scripture. The good and the bad gets judged. And as we saw in 1 Corinthians 3, the bad will be burned away and it's what's left is what we get crowned for. And think about those who get that crown. It just came in my mind. They lived on earth and they served other people and loved other people and loved Jesus and was faithful. And so they lived a great life here on earth serving 
They were loving people. Loving God and loving people. The great commandment. And then they stand before Jesus. And Jesus personally gives a crown. Or a crown. Revelation 4 says that the elders, I think it is, that they turn around and they take their crowns and they lay them back at the feet of Jesus. While heaven, the angels, celebrate. Worthy, worthy, worthy is, the, is God Almighty. And they began to sing these praises and say these praises together before a living God. It says, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And it goes on and on and on. We see this picture in Revelation of this end times deal. And what we have to come to understand is this there's two judgments. And this is the, the, the summary right here in 60 seconds. Every human being, the little Chinese woman in the mountains who no one pays attention to, the Donald Trumps in New York who own the buildings, the little Ethiopian man who tried to make ends meet for his family, the man in California who lifted up in Hollywood, the stay-at-home mom in Mobile, Alabama, who says, I don't have as much as someone else, but I've been faithful to my family. Every one of us, I could go on and on, every one of us standing before God. And the beautiful thing is, God's not looking at where the person is from, or where they, what titles they had, or any of that. They're looking at the person and if they were faithful to Him. And that makes me feel pretty good. And there's two judgments. You know Christ. You make a decision to follow Christ. Your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. You make it through to the Bama seat. Your name's not there. The great white throne judgment is what it's called. You go with Satan and his demons to the lake of fire. That's what the scripture says. You had a choice. You chose to go that route instead of the other route. Don't do that. When we're done in a minute, you come and let's pray and you receive Christ into your life today. You make that choice today. Don't you leave this place. I'm embarrassed to come out front. I get that. Then you talk to us before you go. Two judgments. Then us who know him will come before him. What's he do? He judges us on our good and our bad. What we've done or not done. When your name is called, how will he crown you? And then I